The reading this morning comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and can be found on page 1147 in the Bibles in front of you. And I'm reading from verse 17. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you, although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who was a slave when called to the faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they didn't do not. Those who mourn, as if they did not. Those who are happy, as if they were not. Those who buy something, as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world, as if not engrossed in them. For this world, in its present form, is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honourably toward the virgin he is engaged to, and if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning, they should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion but has control over his own will and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, 
but he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happy if she stays as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. Well, thank you, Susan, for reading uh, such a long uh, reading. Excellently. Well done. Hey, um, hi. Uh, my name's Scott, one of the ministers here. Great to be with you. Before we get started, a few quick things. Um, we're um, kind of four-fifths of our way through our series on sex, marriage, singleness, etc., etc. And um, let me say, if you missed a week or if there's stuff you want to go back over, all of the um, talks and resources are up on the website, and I commend them to you. Some of the topics might have been... Um, uh, like just personally too difficult to to deal with in church. Let me say, if that was you, that's fine. Make sure you don't miss out on hearing some um, uh, words from the scriptures by listening to the podcast on the web. I just say, make sure you get into it. Good stuff there. Hey, a couple of quick books before we uh, get underway. Um, last week, I recommended a book by Keller called The Meaning of Marriage, which is good. I also recommended this one called Married for God by Christopher Ash which is also excellent. And there's a great chapter on um, singleness in this book, which I think is worth the price of purchase alone. Um, if you are after a kind of a chunkier read on singleness, this book here, it's called Redeeming Singleness by a guy called Barry Danilak. <laughs> Too bad with that surname, eh? Barry Danilak, uh, Redeeming Singleness. That is an excellent book as well. And lastly, when it comes to books, uh, I'd like everyone to get out their Bibles to page 1147. Yep, er if everyone can do that, that would be super because the Bible is not just a book, it is the book of books, not just the word of men, the Apostle Peter, the Apostle Paul, whoever it might be, but the words of God and... Uh, I worry sometimes by putting the verses up on the screen, it actually demotivates you from actually reading the verses in the Bible. So we're going to read them from the Bible today, not on the screen, page 1147. Let's pray, then we're going to rock and roll. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness in um, giving us life, uh, giving us all kinds of relationships, uh, giving us your scriptures that help guide us in these relationships. Now we ask that you might give us soft hearts, open minds, lives that are willing to change in response to the challenging words you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, just like uh, last week, uh, I'm conscious that as we come to this particular topic, we're in all sorts of different circumstances. Some are happily married. Some might be unhappily married uh, for a variety of reasons. Some happily single some unhappily single for various reasons as well. But all of us need to hear what the scriptures say to unmarried people, all of us, not just the singles, also the marrieds. For starters, that will help married people serve our single fellow Christians better. Secondly, if we're married, it's going to prepare us for future singleness. Because basically half of all currently married people will be single at some time in the future. And also they're important words to hear because perhaps for the first time ever in our culture, there are more unmarried than married people in society. There's a definite trend away from the kind of nuclear family idea that has dominated our culture for so long. So this is a message for single people and it's a message for married people and we all need to listen. A few years ago, there was a um, Hollywood blockbuster, a comedy. Uh, it was called The 40-Year-Old Virgin. Now, I haven't seen this film, and I'm certainly not recommending the film, but you can guess the basic premise of the film. 
there is an unmarried guy who makes the big 4-0 without ever having sex. Isn't that just the most hilarious thing you have ever heard? That someone might remain unmarried and even a virgin until the age of 40. I mean, what a laugh. I can barely hold it all in. <laughs> you can tell I'm being sarcastic. Now, apparently, actually, in the film, it's, it's not just a laugh. It's a problem that needs to be fixed. And so uh, in the rest of the film, as I understand it, you can kind of read plot summaries on the internet, his work colleagues basically try to set this man up with a woman, not just for sex, but also kind of for marriage and life. Or uh, maybe just think of uh, the most basic stories that we tell our children. I mean, there's Cinderella. That is the archetypal fairy tale, right? And the point of the whole story is that all the girls, not just Cinderella, but also the stepsisters, um, want to marry the prince. You marry the prince, you win the prize. You don't get to marry the prince, well, then you have to leave the kingdom. So getting married is actually portrayed as the goal, not just in the story, but really in life. And staying unmarried seems to either be a problem that needs to be fixed or a situation that ought to be pitied. Now, of course, there are some exceptions to this kind of rule. There is the the Lone Ranger man, the kind of James Bond-like bachelor who's bedding many women but settles down with none of them. And uh, true, he might be envied for a while, the kind of lone playboy bachelor, but it It's not long before that sort of archetype gets shown to be pretty shallow. So singleness in our day uh, often seems to be second rate, problematic, even pitiable. And I wonder if any of our single unmarried brothers and sisters here this morning have ever felt like that. You know, that's not just a feature of our culture. It's also a feature of the Corinthian culture. There was not only social pressure to get married like we have here, even though marriage here is under threat somewhat. Back then there was even government pressure. Uh, Widows who didn't remarry within two years had to pay an additional tax. It was seen as um, almost treasonous because you weren't supporting the state or the empire if you didn't remarry and have children who would plough the fields or fight in armies. So there was not just pressure from society, there was also pressure from the empire to get married or to get remarried. And into that culture and into that setting, the Apostle Paul says to the Corinthian Christians, you know what, guys? No pressure. Really, no pressure. If you want to get married... Get married, that's okay, you're not doing anything wrong, but just don't feel pressure to get married. In fact, there are advantages for Christians to stay unmarried. And you're like, what? No, there aren't. Actually, there are. And although the scriptures are realistic about the difficulties of single life, and we're going to talk about that in a moment, it portrays singleness, the unmarried state, way more positively than ancient culture, where you got taxed more, Way more positively than modern culture, you're a problem we need to fix. Maybe even more positively than church culture. And uh, there's just stacks that both married people and unmarried people need to hear today. And so the first thing that both singles and marrieds need to know is that singleness is esteemed in the scriptures. Singleness, unmarried people are honored there. And I, uh, I really do think both uh, single people and married people need to hear this because it's easy for married Christians to basically have the same attitude towards our single fellow Christians that Hollywood has towards singleness. It's a problem to fix. 
It's a situation to be pitied. And that's not right. Single folks, uh, you want to listen in to 1 Corinthians as well. Because it means that you can and you should devote your lives to something other than fixing the problem of singleness or pitying yourself. Have a look in verse 7 if you'd be so kind. It's very interesting because the Apostle Paul describes both being married and unmarried as a gift. Now that's striking and unusual. And although it doesn't mean it's an easy gift to receive, it does mean with singleness, with being unmarried, there's an opportunity to embrace rather than a problem to fix. Now we saw last week in 1 Corinthians 7 that it's very positive about sex within marriage. Marriage is the context uh, for kind of sexual expression. And so whilst sex needs marriage, that context, we talked last week about how marriage needs sex and affection and intimacy. It's very positive about sex and affection. It's also very positive about marriage, and you see that repeatedly in this chapter. Verse 9, verse 28, verse 36, verse 39, over and again. It's no sin to get married. You're not doing anything wrong if you get remarried, if your spouse dies. As a Christian, there's great freedom to get married. The only proviso the Apostle Paul gives in verse 39 is that the person you ought to marry should be a Christian. They should belong to the Lord. And we're just going to kind of note that for now because we don't have time to go into it in detail. So note that and note the freedom that there is to get married. I mean, he's just at pains to say there's no restriction against marriage. But you do have to admit that if anything, if anything, this chapter is even more positive about singleness than about marriage. Listen to how he describes it, verse 7. I wish that all people were as I am, that is, unmarried, though the Apostle Paul may previously have been married. Or verse 8, for the unmarried people, it's good for them to stay unmarried as I do. Uh, Verse 25, about virgins, that single people who have not previously been married, it's good to remain as you are. Now that's not a command from Jesus, that's a, a kind of a warm pastoral commendation. Verse 38, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry does even better. Verse 40, in my judgment, the widow who remains unmarried, despite the societal pressure, despite the government taxes, well, she's happier if she stays unmarried. And I realize it just might seem like I'm laboring the point here, but Paul's esteem for the single life is so great and it cuts against the grain of culture so strongly that we need to hear it loudly, clearly, today. And of course the question is, why? You know, Why is the New Testament so positive about the single or the unmarried life? How can Paul describe being unmarried as a gift when our culture views it as a problem? Well, at least part of the answer is that it creates an opportunity not available to married people. Now, everyone, let's have a look at verse 28. But if you do marry, you've not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she's not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. In other words, it's not wrong to get married. Get married if you like. It's not more spiritual or less spiritual to be single, but it's less complicated because marriage brings its share of troubles. And at this point, you're not going to hear some of the married people snickering under their breaths going, not wrong there, mate. Ha, ha, ha. But just shut up and listen. 
Because actually, Paul, it's a bit rude, wasn't it? Sorry about that. Shut up. Paul elaborates on this idea in verses 32 to 35. And really he says, marriage divides your attention, divides your concerns, so that you are rightly concerned, like they're not wrong concerns, you're rightly concerned not just for the affairs of God, but also for the concerns of your spouse and I guess the children as well. Now, he's, he's not saying that single people have got no concerns other than being involved in Christian service and ministry. And married people, we actually need to recognize that many of our single brothers and sisters share the, the, many of the same concerns we have, right? The anxieties of work, the burden of looking after aging parents or ill relatives, financial stress. I mean, I think of uh, the single mums and dads amongst us. They're in a uniquely difficult situation as they have all the concerns of raising children but are doing it without the help and the support of a spouse I mean I think we need to recognize them and celebrate your bravery and really applaud all your efforts in what is a a tiring role so certainly not saying that single folks have no concerns that it's this wonderful liberating state of being where you just kind of float above anxiety of any kind the simple point the apostle Paul is making is that you don't have to consider a spouse in every decision you make. There's an opportunity to have a more focused concern on pleasing the Lord, as it says in verse 32, or in being devoted to the Lord in body and spirit, as it says in verse 34, more than a married person does. You're not free from all concern, but you are free from the concern of a spouse, which naturally takes up plenty of space in just the week and in your mind and in your levels of energy and activity. And the question is for single folks here, are you going to embrace that opportunity? It's a real delight this morning to share with the 8 o'clock congregation where there's many single people, and so many of them have. But it's not automatic that you just are in this position and you seize the opportunity to serve God and His people and His world with that additional space. It's not automatic. So what will you do with that opportunity? What can the rest of us do to encourage you in that opportunity? Like many things in life, singleness can make you bitter if you focus inwardly on your own situation, or it can make you better if you focus upwardly on the only relationship that can fully satisfy, because spouses let you down. It can make you better if you focus outwardly on serving and loving others. And look, I could kind of point to history and say, you know, historically for some people, this has meant doing heroic mission work that's often involved, you know, travel and danger and great difficulty. And let me say, if you do feel the call of God on your life as an unmarried person to go somewhere dangerous or to do things difficult where you wouldn't be able to if you had the responsibility of a family, I'm certainly not downplaying that. But for most of our unmarried folks, that upward and outward focus is going to be directed in many smaller and probably less heroic and more local and yet still greatly significant ways surprising given our culture but right here singleness is esteemed it's lifted up it's described as a gift and as an opportunity and we all need to see that and we all need to recognize that ongoing encouragement is required 
if people are going to embrace that opportunity because it's just not automatic. Second thing uh, we all need to recognize this morning is that receiving the gift of singleness, embracing the opportunity of being unmarried is not easy. Now, if you lightly breeze through 1 Corinthians 7, you don't do that kind of harder work of just letting it settle in your mind. You know that some things in the Bible do require the harder work of letting it settle in your mind. You know, even the Apostle Peter says that about Paul's writings. If you just lightly breeze through chapter 7, it might appear that he's saying singleness is this triumphant cavort through life. But you know the Apostle Paul, and you know Jesus as well was single, They both knew that receiving the gift of singleness is not easy. Embracing the opportunity for undivided or maybe less divided devotion is not automatic because it is just so hard. Matthew chapter 19 verse 12, Jesus who, um, you know, let's remember, embodied the fullest human life ever lived, though he was unmarried. He describes embracing the single life for the sake of the kingdom of God as being like a eunuch. Being like a eunuch. Sure, singleness presents opportunities, but it also means surrendering opportunities, like the opportunities for sex and romance and a spouse and children and companionship and a lively family home buzzing with all kinds of activities and lots of other things besides. And I reckon it's possible for uh, some married folks especially those of us who might be in the thick fog of divided attention with you know, multiple concerns on the job front and on the spousal front, on the kid front, on the home front, to look at the single people and just think, wow, what a gloriously unencumbered existence. You know, you just do what you want, whenever you want. You leave your clothes on the floor. You walk around the house in your undies. You don't uh, use a coaster on the coffee table. You can watch as many classic car restoration documentaries as you want. I think I'm just talking about me at this point, aren't I? (laughs) Freer, easier, cheaper. You know, married people, we just need to think what it's like at the end of a long, frustrating day, turning the key and opening the door to an empty home. No spouse to debrief about your frustrations with the boss or your fears about things. No guaranteed person to share the highs with either. And um, singleness is kind of reinforced all the time, isn't it? There's a two-for-one special. Yeah, I don't need to, though. Accommodation is $100 per night, twin share. I don't have a twin to share with. Oh, in that case, it'll be $150 for a single room. Man, that kind of sounds like a single tax, doesn't it? Um, Even chocolates for uh, mums on Mother's Day, which is a lovely thing to do, but it it can potentially just reinforce that single people are single. So receiving the gift is not easy and embracing that opportunity is not automatic and it's worth recognising that, just as Jesus recognised that. And for married people in particular, it really is worth us thinking through how we can serve, how we can include rather than isolate our fellow single believers. Uh, Of course, I do need to say at this point what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, which is that receiving the gift of marriage 
is not easy either. It results in lost opportunities to serve God with undivided devotion. It brings many troubles. It's a concerning status. Literally, the word is it causes anxiety. And uh, single folks, just in case you're in danger of making the ideal of marriage into an idol that will solve all your problems and fulfill all your aspirations in life, you've got to realize that marriage is difficult too. It can be tempting to think of the married life as all beer and Skittles. Husband and wife, you know, adorned in um, spotless white shirts, linen pants, riding on perfect (laughs) uh, white horses along an impossibly white beach with, you know, impossibly clear waters lapping up against, all the time smiling and laughing. Or maybe, that's just weird, right? (laughs) Um, Maybe, though, it's the... I think it sounds nice, but... (laughs) Can't ride a horse, though. (laughs) Maybe it's uh, the suburban home, though, um, with the picket fence and an always clean Toyota Kluger in the driveway. 2.4 perfectly well-behaved children. You think that's what it's like? Actually, just think of mum or dad coming home after a long, tiring, frustrating day, turning the key, opening the door to a bomb site. (laughs) You're like, have they been testing missiles again? And... You, you don't debrief from your terrible day because your spouse's day has been even worse. And uh, we need to get Susie some extra help with maths. She's really, she's falling behind. And little Richie, he's got no friends. He keeps saying that he hates himself. And Johnny's got the wrong kind of friends. That's even more concerning. And these bills, man, they keep piling up. And the one salary, it's got to support five people, not just the one. And uh, maybe I am kind of over-dramatizing the whole situation for the sake of effect, but all I'm saying is that both marriage and singleness present difficulty, don't they? In both situations, we, le- we need to learn contentment. Both situations, we need to embrace. And if that's true of being married, it's also true of being single. Receiving the gift is not easy and it's not automatic. But there, an opportunity remains. Now, the third and last thing I want to say before uh, we get down to some practicalities is that the future changes the present for us all. Single or married, the gospel has brought about a certain future which changes the present, the here and now, today. Have a look at what the apostle says in verses 29 to 31. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as though they do not just a bit along, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep, those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them, for the world in its present form is passing away. Man, when you think about it, the gospel events are pretty straightforward, aren't they? Jesus lives, Jesus dies, Jesus rises again, Jesus will return. He will return to make everything new at the end of time, which means that the world in its present form is passing away. It won't go on forever. I mean, the scientists agree with us on this one, right? And the time is short. Now, that means the future changes the present. You see, married people, it's just as easy for us to make our marriages an idol as it is for single folks to make the ideal of marriage an idol. But the time is short. The world in its present form is passing away and we need to conduct our marriages according to that reality. And in light of the truth that according to Jesus, we will not be married into eternity. 
something better awaits us all. So if you look at your married life or your kind of nuclear family and it's an inward-focused, self-absorbed little huddle, prepare yourself for eternity by looking outwardly to others and upwardly to God. I think that's what Paul means when he says, live as though you're not married, even though you are. Together, work out how your marriage and family can serve God and look to other people rather than just focusing on yourself. But the future passing of this world into the next also changes the present for single people too. Once again, it's not wrong to get married, and certainly marriage points to the union of Christ to his church, that is to all Christian believers. But in the unmarried state, you can witness to the coming age when we will not be given in marriage. You can testify to being satisfied in relationship with Christ Jesus as we will all be into eternity if we trust in Jesus. You can show in your life this very day that your hope is not in a relationship that will be broken by death, or in the children that such a marriage might bring, but is in a glorious future that is guaranteed because Jesus himself has risen from the dead and will be ushered in when he returns. In both marriage and in singleness, we can point to a coming age, a perfected future. For married people, by just not being obsessed, so obsessed by your own marriage that there's no room for other people, For unmarried people, by being satisfied with the relationship with Christ that we already have and the extraordinary future that awaits. But again, neither of those things are going to happen automatically. They need to be personally embraced by us and then publicly encouraged often. So uh, this... um, brings us to the point where we do start talking, thinking about practical suggestions. And uh, the most practical suggestion the Apostle Paul has for us in 1 Corinthians 7 is to remain in the situation you're in. In some ways, that's kind of the overarching message of the whole chapter. If you're married, you know, stay married. Don't seek a divorce. Bruce is going to teach us more about that next week. If you're unmarried, stay unmarried, although it's not wrong to get married. I mean, he repeatedly says, stay in the situation you're in throughout the chapter. He illustrates it with the metaphors of circumcision and slavery. And he he doesn't say it ever more clearly than in verse 17. Verse 17. Each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. Whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them. So for marriage, last week we talked about how uh, affection and intimacy help us live as believers in the situation of marriage. Today as we talk about singleness, I actually think a lot of the practical application still falls upon married people. You might think that's surprising. But if it's difficult to receive the gift of singleness, if it's not automatic to embrace the opportunities that being unmarried affords, if it just sucks living single in a world or even a church that is built for two, then as married people, we need to make it easier, not harder. You know, in the days of the Corinthians, they would um, kind of take up collections and they would provide widows with money so that the pressure to remarry just to survive was kind of eased. In other words, they just helped them. And 
I, I just think at this point I'd like to apologize for any thoughtlessness on our part that makes it harder to live a joyful single Christian life. I realize that even um, promoting marriage enrichment courses, even calling our services family services can be a bit of a barrier. I mean, you know, we call them family services because we want to indicate they're the services that are appropriate for people with kids. We're just trying to say kids are welcome. And regardless of what we call them, I hope that all our services are family services because we live out the truth that we are all family in Christ with many married and unmarried brothers and sisters. But I really do think the onus is on married people to be inclusive. You know, it's no good us saying to single folks, now you remain chaste. You live wholeheartedly for Jesus. If married people provide no community and no friendship to our single fellow believers. A friend of ours, uh, mum, was widowed a little while ago. And her GP said to her, you're um, not going to get any dinner invites anymore. You'll get lunch invites, but you won't get dinner invites. And I just thought it was the oddest thing to say. Um, at that time, we had kind of 50 to 60 single people through our house every week, young people. It just sounded like the weirdest thing to say, but I think I understand what he meant now. He's just saying it's very easy, kind of thoughtless, I mean, for marrieds and families to hang out with people just the same as them. But you, we, you see, we all miss out if that's what happens. Uh, single people miss out on the chance to see up and close that marriage is not all beer and skittles. Uh, single people don't get the chance to develop friendships and to have involvement in the lives of children, which might help make up just a little bit for that surrendered opportunity. Married people miss out on the encouragement and the witness of a life which anticipates eternity. It seems to me everyone loses out if that's what happens. And so I think there's a challenge there for married people to heed. But for single people as well, there's just opportunities for encouragement from a wide range of friendships too. And not being bound by the exclusivity of one marriage, there might even be potential for a wider circle of friends, male and female, married and unmarried. And let those friendships be places where you are spurred on to continue living for God in both body and spirit. In the situation that you're in right now, even if it changes later, let those friendships be deep spiritual friendships. And in just a second, we're going to uh, watch a video that just fleshes out a little bit more about community and spiritual friendships. But as we finish up, you all know how Cinderella ends, don't you? They all lived... Happily ever after. What a fairy tale. You know, though, um, in the gospel, in Christ Jesus, all believers do live happily ever after? You know that, right? You know, we live happily ever after, all of us, as unmarried people, because our union with Christ Jesus and our perfected companionship and friendship with one another is somehow more fun and more profound and more warm and more satisfying than anything we experience here on earth. Now marriage can point to that union with Christ and singleness can witness to that future satisfaction. So let us all take up the opportunity that our situation gives to witness to eternity. And in the meantime, let us love one another deeply and spiritually. Let me pray for us now. Heavenly Father God, we uh, thank you that... 
Whatever situation we're in, there are opportunities to embrace, to live for you and to live for others. So help us to do that. Help us to be content in the situation in which we find ourselves. Uh, Forgive us and protect us from looking at our situations inwardly. Help us to become better rather than bitter people. I pray for the single and unmarried folks among us, Lord, that this might be a community where there's deep spiritual friendships. I pray for the married folks among us too, Father God, that we might be people who look outwardly and create enough room in family life to include single people. Pray these things for the glory of Jesus. Amen. Okay, as I said, uh, we're going to watch a video. Just uh, before we do that, let me remind you that um, if there's anything that we've talked about uh, to do with sex, marriage, singleness, whatever it is, that you think, I'd like to talk to someone about that, feel free to just jot that on a Connect card, pop it in the collection bags as they come around in a moment. Uh, But we are going to watch this clip, and it's it's a clip from Dr. Wesley Hill. It's one that we showed at the special teaching night on the Bible and homosexuality, and he's really talking about the context of same-sex attraction, but some of the things he says about friendship, some of the things he says about community might have a similar application to all of us in regards to our single and unmarried brothers and sisters. So we'll watch this clip. It goes for a couple of minutes. Then we'll finish with uh, a song, which will be our collection song, and you can pop those Connect cards in the bags.